I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday as we are celebrating, honoring, recognizing the birth of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, today we are going to read our Bibles as we always do, and we're going to start a new series uh, on the book of Luke. Um, we're going to have a wonderful time doing that. But before we get started, I, I want to ask everybody a question. Um, how many of you have possibly said these words when you maybe were maybe going through something that is challenging, difficult? You, you said these words, my God can do the impossible. How many of you said, have said that? Probably many of you. Um, and that is a good thing to say. I encourage you guys all to say that. Um, we should all know that we serve the God of the impossible. And maybe you've said it when you applied for a new job and you think there was no way that you would get that job. Maybe you said it when your car wasn't working and, and somehow God did the impossible there. You maybe couldn't make the car rents, but yet God made a way. Maybe you couldn't pay rent, yet God made a way. In these moments, maybe you remind yourself, you say something under your breath, or maybe you pray and you declare that I serve the God of the impossible. God can make a way when there appears to be no way. But where did this idea come from? Well, it partially comes from the story we will be looking at today as we start looking at the book of Luke. I want you to ponder, I want you to think about the question, how does the phrase, there is nothing impossible for God, relate to our reading? How does it relate to the, especially the latter portion of what we will be reading? Ask yourselves this. How does Luke, Christmas, and the God of the impossible all relate? If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke. I encourage you guys to bring your Bibles during this time. Maybe even purchase a Bible, a Bible that you feel free riding on. Uh, there's some Bibles that just cost a dollar. And if you have your phone, feel free to do that too. Um, look at it there. But during this series, I really encourage you to open up your Bible and join us as we lo look at God's truth according to Luke. Um, this is going to be a great series. If you're a note taker, if you like annotating on your scriptures, I want to spend some time unveiling what the scriptures say, what Luke says. And, and I want to invite all of you to my understanding of scripture, invite you on my journey uh, and show you how God has helped me. Um, I'm sure there's other ways that other people have been helped, but I'm speaking for myself and I want to show you guys how God has strengthened me during these times. So if you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Luke. It is... Towards the end of your Bible, it is after Mark, before John, um, and it goes like this. We will be reading from Luke 1, uh, 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip down several verses to verse 26. And it says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of all the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Then verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. And she, who was, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Right there where you're at, if you could close your eyes and bow your head as we pray for this time that we have together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together, Lord. I pray that you may bless us, guide us, and help us understand your word. We need to hear from you today. And I pray that our hearts may be ready for what you have to say. We are expecting for we are expecting you to speak to us in Jesus name. I pray. Amen and amen. I want to spend some time looking at this entire narrative that we have just read. I want to start off by dissecting Luke 1, 1 through 4. And if you want to go back, there's notes also available back there if you want to use that. And you just write in the notes that I have. It's just the scriptures that we read. Um, But as you could see up here, Luke 1, 1 through 4 is the prologue. It is the prologue of the gospel of Luke. No other gospel introduced the book like Luke did. He introduced the book with beautiful classic Greek. And I think it's useful to have Luke start us off with this new series. So let's see how Luke started us off. According to Luke, many people organized 
ordered and gathered information about what had happened among them. Luke was saying that something exciting had happened among the Christians. It was so exciting that people had to share about it. They, they had to speak about it. They couldn't just leave it to themselves. It's not that the people were coerced to proclaim what had happened, but rather they wanted to share about the things that were taking place among the Christians. You know, when something big happens in your life, something outstanding happens in your life, you you just want to share with the world what, what had happened. That's what's taking place here. And I think we can learn from them, these Christians, that they wanted to share the goodness that they had experienced. As you could see up in the screen, that they wanted to, to share, if you could it's, go to the next screen. Thank you. People had to speak about what had happened. They had to share that something, ha- that something had occurred among them. They just wanted to share the, the goodness that they had experienced. And some Christians experienced the goodness of Jesus not because they were eyewitness, but because they were Christians who had handed down the truth to them. Who, they were Christians who passed down the truth. Luke 1, 2 says, the Greek word, it shows us, if we look at Luke 2, focusing there, there's this word that, that's used, and it is called, it is handed down, and it is paradidomine. It's a famous Greek word. The early church saw that they had received something important. Something was handed down, and it was their responsibility to keep this early tradition. This next slide, as you can see here, is the tradition of paradidomine. Jesus had received the truth, and he gave the truth to the disciples, and the church gave the truth to unbelievers. There's a continued tradition. It started with Jesus. He taught the truth. He is the truth. And he shared his good news with the disciples. The disciples shared the good news with those who would become the church. And it continued and continued. The previous generation shares with the upcoming generation the truth that that the previous generation had benefited from. It's a continuous cycle. It's something that we share, that we pass on to the next generation. And although there are people who say it's made up, that this, this Christian faith is all a tale The early Christians believed that these truths were not fiction, that it wasn't an allegory, a myth, a mere myth with good morals. No. They believed that it was real, that it actually took place. They did not believe that these stories were tales. They were following what the first eyewitnesses passed down. Luke probably heard stuff from the first apostles. And Luke organized their, their thoughts. Luke wasn't criticizing those who came before him. Instead, he continued the tradition. And they didn't just make it up. They didn't just make it up. It wasn't like the best ideas would win. 
No, instead, they received a testimony from those who saw with, with their own eyes what had happened. That's what Luke is writing here. He, he gathered information from people who were firsthand eyewitnesses, and they had an oral tradition. They would talk about it, a witness, a testimony about the things that had occurred. Hundreds shared about what had happened. This is what Luke's second work, the book of Acts, is all about. It's about Christians sharing the good news of Jesus. The author, Luke, was not an eyewitness himself, but he was able to get info about what had happened because eyewitnesses of Jesus were unashamed to share what they knew. They told people, they told Luke, they wanted to help people. They shared, especially if they knew that their, their knowledge, their information would help these eyewitnesses were not trying to make a new religion. They were just following the word. They did not lie and were not trying to make a prophet. They were just sharing what they had experienced. One scholar correctly said, the eyewitnesses were not propagandists for their own views of what happened with Jesus but un, had unreservedly put their persons and work in the service of Jesus' cause. They weren't trying to start a new religion that would make a lot of money. They were just trying to share the experience that they had with Jesus. And I like with Athanasius, he was an early Christian in the year 300s, and he said this on the testimony of the eyewitnesses, and I, I want you to reflect on these words. What the apostles received, they passed on without change, so that the doctrine of the mysteries and, and Christ would remain correct. The divine word, the Son of God, wants us to be their disciples. It is appropriate for them to be our teachers. And it is necessary for us to submit to their teaching alone. Only from them and from those who have taught faithfully, taught, who have faithfully taught their doctrine do we get, as Paul writes, faithful words worthy of complete acceptance. With them, we are back to ground level because they did not become disciples as a result of what they heard from others. Rather, they were eyewitnesses and servants of God, the word. And they handed down what they heard directly from him. We get our doctrine, our teaching from the apostles without any change. We strive to follow the correct teachings of Jesus. Jesus gave the truth to the disciples, and he wants the, their disciples to make more disciples, to follow the truth that Jesus gave them, and it's, it's just the cycle that, continue, that continues, and we should submit, we should take heed, we should follow what they have taught us, what the first disciples have taught us. With all of this in mind, with the idea keeping in mind that people are writing down accounts 
eyewitnesses are passing down what they have, have experienced. With all of this in mind, Luke decided to investigate everything from the beginning. This word for investigate reminds me of this picture from Solomon Schechter that's on the screen. And you could see him. He is studying in the middle. And he has all of these documents, thousands of documents. And these documents are from the medieval scrolls that he was a Jewish scholar. And, and he was collecting them, translating them. And he was trying to make sense of them. I could imagine Luke doing something akin to Solomon Schechter. Sometimes the church seems to be anti-research, but it shouldn't be. Look at Luke. He did his research, his study to prepare what we will be reading for the next couple of Sundays. I'm afraid that sometimes we think that something is godlier when it takes place spontaneously. Or if a preacher has notes or has spent time preparing, he's less spiritual because he's not relying on the Spirit. But within the Bible, spiritual people prepare. Yes, sometimes it can be spontaneous and it really depends on the personality of a person, of an individual. But the Spirit can use you when you study, when you prepare, when you take time at home to prepare, just as he used Luke, who took, took time to prepare to get ready, to prepare the work that we just read. Luke probably had Matthew's account or Mark's gospel with him and used them to help write his account. It's very likely that he did, since there are some instances within Mark, Matthew, and Luke that they used the same wording uh, the same word order even. Luke probably also consulted other eyewitnesses. Maybe he interviewed Mary. That's why he, we have a very extensive story on the birth of Christ, whereas the other Gospels don't really have such an extensive account. Luke wanted us to know everything there was to know about the story of Christ. Luke did his research so that he could write an orderly account. What kind of literature was Luke, the book of Luke? What kind of genre is Luke? Well, it's an orderly account. It's a narrative, a historical narrative. Ordered here does not mean that it's chronological, but it means that it's well-ordered, polished, product of a historian's work. We should see this as the narrative of Christ, the account of Christ, the account of the things that have happened according to Luke and his research and literary skills. The details of Luke support the claim that Luke considered his writings to be a record of something that actually happened. Luke heard what others had said and followed their example by compiling his own witness. And he wrote this, this ordered account for Theophilus. Theophilus was probably a Roman official with the title, uh, most excellent, a common title for ranking, official, ra ranking Roman officials. Why was Luke writing to Theophilus? Well, as you could see up there, the last part, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
That is the purpose. The purpose, the reason that Luke wrote the gospel, what we read, is that this individual named Theophilus, probably a Roman official, so that he could be sure of the things that he has been taught. This is the purpose of the gospel, of, this, of the writings of Luke. It's, a one, one, it's one Christian helping a person with his faith. Theophilus had been taught. The Greek word for taught is katekeo. During the time of the New Testament, the word katekeo revolved around instructional information. It was used to talk about a person being informed of a report. The report can be negative or positive. Paul used the word katekeo to talk about those who taught the word. Those who taught the word were katekonti, and those who received instruction, students, were called katekomenos. That is why, because of this word, that for a long time the church had these types of teachings known as catechisms. It comes from this word catechisms, katekeo, sounds familiar. Right? And, and through these catechisms, the church informed the people about the Christian faith. While it is possible that the church or a Christian had formally taught Theophilus, maybe not as extensively or systematically as churches do it nowadays, the main point here is that Theophilus had some information regarding the way of Christ. Now Luke was writing or compiling an account of what eyewitnesses had shared, of things that had happened to help Theophilus be certain. Essentially, what Luke wrote was the earliest form of a Christian curriculum. Within our small groups, we used Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, to help us grow in our faith. Next month, we will be restarting our connect groups and we will be using the book, Relentless Elimination, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, to help us with our spiritual journey. Here within the Bible, the story that we read, we have the first Christian curriculum that has helped the church since its inception, since the very beginning. And I pray as we go through Luke's writings, we might benefit from it as Theophilus did. That we would become sure of the things that have been taught to us. That Jesus is king. That God is love. That he is for, for us. That he is the God of the impossible. That he has brought the kingdom. Through our time together in the writings of Luke, I pray that we would become certain of the truths that have been passed down from generations ago. The Greek word for certainty is asphalein. Just by looking at how the word is set up, it's at the bottom left. It's a, it, has, it starts off with an A and then it has this Greek word and a Greek student could see that it has that A and it gives that idea of not falling because phileon means falling and then there's that 
A in the beginning, which is not. So the A is signifying not following, just as atheist, the A in atheist, the A in the beginning means not theist. Atheist means not a theist, not a believer. And if we look at how the word is used, you would see that the that it does mean like that you have no doubt that you do not fall off from the truth, that you, you are certain about it. And I think some of us may want that. Maybe we have doubt and that's normal, but we should strive to be confident. In Luke's case, Luke desired that Theophilus would not fall from what he had been taught, what Theophilus had been taught. That Theophilus would be certain of the information that he had heard. And this is my prayer for you. That you would be confident in what God has revealed. This book, the book of Luke, is here to help you as you follow Jesus. And we're going to start seeing today what Luke wrote. What did Luke say to help Theophilus with his spiritual journey? Let's see how he ordered the, Luke, uh, ordered the account, how Luke ordered it. Our goal is to hear Luke preach what he has compiled. Not what I say, but what did Luke say. And I believe that through our time with, this, with Luke's writing, we could, be, we could benefit from it tremendously. And we will grow in our faith. We read, after we read the prologue, we read Luke 1, 26 to 38. Here is the entire thing. Um, and we read that all together. It is the birth of Christ being foretold. And we'll look at each paragraph at a time. An angel... In the first verse, we are introduced to this angel named Gabriel. He went from God's presence to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. God would have angels who served as his messengers. Like a king, God would delegate to others specific tasks. He would commonly delegate the angel Gabriel to bring news. He did it in the Old Testament with the prophet Daniel. And now God sent Gabriel to bring news to this town in, Naz- in, in Galilee called Nazareth. It was, this town was so... Uncommon. It wasn't a well-known city. That's why Luke had to specify that it was in Galilee. And you can see up here the map of during Jesus' time. This is the Mediterranean Sea. You see in the very left, Spain. In the middle, it, what is now Italy, Rome area, Greece. And then towards the very left, uh, right, um, it would be my right. You're right. And um, you would see... Uh, what is Palestine, the region of Judea. Um, and if we zoom in there, you could see it's, it's still pretty small, but essentially Nazareth was uh, towards the top part over here, and Bethlehem was down here. But he lived in a very small town up here. Well, the angel came to this very small town where he met somebody. 
he met a, a virgin. The Greek word is Parthenon, which conveys the same idea that our word for virgin does in English. A young girl. Okay, it's the idea behind it is a young girl who has not had any sexual relations. Also, she is ready for marriage, and we can see that this virgin was ready for marriage, be, marriage because she was already pledged for marriage. It's similar to our idea of being engaged, but way more serious. Breaking up an engagement is easier now than it was back then. Breaking up an engagement back then was similar to getting a divorce. It was very serious. And this virgin was engaged to Joseph, who was a descendant of David. David was a king, as most of us know, who God had promised that would, who, he would have a, a son who would have an eternal kingdom. And yes, the kingdom theme has reappeared. We will look at the significance of this in a few verses. Then we see the name of the virgin. Her name was Mary. Or Mariam in Greek. And it's also, it's the same name. It's the same Greek name for Miriam. Um, just because of translation, if we translate it from the Hebrew to English, we get Miriam. If we get translated from Greek to English, we get Mary. It's just a matter of, it's the nature of translation. And it means uh, exalted one. The name comes from Moses' sister, whose name was Miriam. And the angel said to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. Greetings, favored one. He said, favored one, or you in some translation, you who are highly favored. In the Greek, it's just one word. It's karisto. Mary was karisto, highly favored. Some people have taken the liberty to believe that she was highly favored because of her character. But as the word suggests, especially in passages like Ephesians 1, 6, Mary was highly favored because of what God decided to do. God had freely, graciously, generously chosen her. Thus, she was favored. Because God chose her to be the mother of the Messiah, she was kadisto, she was the favored one. She was favored because God was with her. And Mary heard these words from the angel and wondered. And, and the first thing she thought was like, who is this person? What is he saying to me? What, what's going on here? She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I think we can probably relate. If somebody randomly appeared and greeted us, we would wonder what type of greeting this was. We might ask, what's going on here? We might even feel fear. And then the angel said one of the most common phrases that we read in the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. 
These two passages are connected, as you could see, and then he says, do not be afraid, which is the most common phrase within the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I think we all need to hear that again. Do not be afraid. Mary had found favor, but she was afraid. We have found favor, but we may also be afraid. And I think we need to all be reminded that we should not be afraid. As God was with Mary, he is with us. After telling Mary to not be afraid, the angel said one of the strangest, strangest things. To a virgin, the angel said, you will have a child soon. The, the wording implies that it's eminent, that it is upon us. Then the angel said that she would call the son Jesus. Back in the day, the father would be the one who names the child, but here the mom is going to name the child. God is empowering the mom. And also there is a sense that the son does not have an earthly father. The mom was to name the son Jesus, Yesun, or from the Hebrew, Yehoshua, which is Joshua. Again, translation, and just translating from Hebrew, if you're translating from Hebrew, Joshua, if you're translating it from Greek, Latin, then you get Jesus. With the name Jesus, we should get the idea that the Lord, that God saves us. That's what the name indicates that's the meaning of the name. And then the scripture also tells us that the son will be great. <laughs> I find this, this kind of funny. The Greek word is mega. So we could say that Jesus is going to be mega. And he's going to be the son of the most high. Again, his father is not earthly. The son comes from above. And he will be the son of God. God will be his father, and Jesus will be his son. And this is part of the promise to King David concerning the kingdom, concerning David, regarding the promise about David having a descendant who would be God's son. We're seeing the fulfillment here. The son will have an eternal throne. The scripture tells us that he will have the throne of David. The Bible portrays David's throne as a good thing. David ruled faithfully, and now David's son, a descendant of David, doesn't mean, it doesn't, the word father here doesn't mean that David is his, his Jesus' biological father who married Mary. No, it's just it's like grandpa type of, type of word. This descendant would have David's good throne. And rule faithfully. We're getting kingdom themes again. And I promise you that we're done with that series. But as we see here, the kingdom is everywhere within the scriptures. And the angel added that Jesus would rule over Jacob. Jacob's descendants made up what was the people of Israel. God had promised them a beautiful, eternal kingdom, but the people 
of Israel during Mary's time were under Roman occupation. We sang earlier in one of the songs we sang about Israel being delivered, Israel being saved. During that time, they were in need of salvation. They were under Roman occupation, under the rule of other nations. The promises of the kingdom seemed to be far-fetched during this time to the Israelites, to Mary. But yet the angel proclaimed that the forever kingdom is coming. And it's coming through the son of Mary. Mary's in disbelief. How will this be? Of course, she would be in disbelief. Of course, she is just a virgin. It's really hard to believe that a virgin, someone who has not known a man, would conceive a son. And then the son she's going to have is the son of God, the Messiah, the king who would bring the eternal kingdom. It's hard to believe. This seems impossible. And remember the purpose of this book, it's supposed to solidify, supposed to strengthen the faith of Theophilus. I could just remember, imagine him reading this and, and just think of his expression when he's reading the story between Mary and the angel. And he might be thinking that this is all nonsense. And maybe we feel the same. But the angel answered Mary's concern. He didn't just brush off, brush it off, say it doesn't matter that you have doubts or that you're wondering how this is possible. Instead, he began to explain how it was possible. How would Mary, as a virgin, conceive the Son of God? Somehow the Spirit of God would be over Mary and the power of the Most High would overshadow, overshadow her. This was supposed to somehow work in a miraculous way and I know it sounds weird, but according to the angel, this is what happened. That what would happen. After the spirit and the power of God miraculously acted, Mary would bear the Holy One, the Son of God. Still, this sounds hard to believe, but that's why you see that this is, that the, that the angel begins to give an example within verse 36. He referenced Elizabeth, the story of Elizabeth, and you could go back to Luke 1, 5 through 25 to Find this story. And it's just a few verses back from where we read. Elizabeth was Mary's relative. The angel begins to explain this. Elizabeth was somebody who Mary knew very well. And she knew that Elizabeth was old in her age. Unlikely to have a child. And people even said that she was barren. Unable to conceive a child. But now, after God had spoken to her, now this 
elderly lady who people were saying she can't have a child. Now, because of what God had said, she was six months pregnant. And now the angel tells Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Another translation is nothing is impossible for God. Maybe this is all hard to believe. It's hard enough to believe that we would make it out of debt, maybe make our payments, that we would be able to make it a work, that we're able to find a job. Maybe it's hard to have faith in that, and it is challenging to do that. It's hard to believe that we would start a church in the midst of COVID, that we will grow and survive in 2020. It's hard to believe in all of these things. And now imagine how hard it would have been to believe that through a virgin, God would send his son. Theophilus, as we do, as Mary did, would have a hard time believing this. But look, God has done the impossible. God has given Elizabeth a son when she was old in age and was called barren. I mean, yes, it's hard to believe, but really, God is the creator of heaven and earth. He can make a way. His words have power. He speaks and it is. He said, let there be light and there was light. He told Elizabeth that she would have a child and she did. And now God said to Mary that she would have a child even though she was a virgin. Of course he will do it because nothing is impossible for God. No word that God has said will ever fail. If he said it, he will make a way. And we know that he has made a way for Mary because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus. Mary had Jesus. I am reminded of the words of Elevation Worship In their song, it says, Great is your faithfulness. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. God has made a way. He made a way for Mary, and he continues to make a way for his people. And I pray, as this last verse shows us, that we would be like Mary. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I pray that we will be like her. And say, let your words be so, even if it seems like it's impossible. We serve the God of the impossible. So I pray that we just say, Lord, 
I am your servant. And I am going to serve you. You said crazy things, but you can make a way. Let's follow Mary's great example of faith. Let's worship him and trust him. Right there where you're at, if you could join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that many of us here, you know, we might have our our questions, our doubts, and we may find ourselves like many characters within the Bible. But your word reminds us in every verse that you can do the impossible. So, yes, you can't send a son through a virgin. It doesn't make sense, but you have all power. You created heaven and earth. You can find a way. You can make a way, and you did. And that is a great example. We're so thankful that you did that, that through this now we have Jesus who is the king of the world and who has died on our behalf. I pray that throughout this week we may be confident of this faith, of this truth, that you are the God of the impossible, that what you have said, anything that you have said will not fail it will happen. And I pray that we may just be like Mary and be like, let it be so. Let your word be so. And I'll be your servant. I will do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.